1998. So that's when that's when purpose met destiny. I was born 1989, um, and I was raised in Modesto, California. You guys know where Modesto's at? Yeah, so I was raised in a in a central valley where it was not really diverse. I was very one of very few blacks that were actually in the classroom. Farmland, mix of like middle class and lower class. And I was on the other side of the tracks. I don't know if you guys know about the other side of the tracks, but where I'm from, you have a train track, it divides you. Um, and it was, I used to get teased a lot because being the only black person in the class, but I was very, very smart. And I didn't want to be at first because people called me Oreo. They called me whitewash. They called me all these different kind of names. So um, going along, third grade hits. Um, I find out I need glasses because I couldn't see. And it added on to the making fun of. And then my dad got me a roller backpack. Total horrible story. (laughs) (laughs) But I say all of that because I was battling something that then manifested in third grade. So I was battling kind of like what is my identity, battling like, who am I as um, a black man kind of being ostracized in a classroom? You're able to compete academically. Sometimes you just doubt yourselves, but then you still are able to rise to the occasion. But in third grade, my mom and my father were having some troubles in their marriage. My mom and my father are are from Virginia. They moved all the way out here to California to continue their family and um, to really kind of grow. And my dad's a pastor. So I was raised in the church. I don't know if you guys were raised in the church at all or not. But third grade, they had some marital issues. And that's when I found out I was adopted. So on top of already having struggles with identity about who am I, what kind of man am I to be? Like, am I really called to be this smart? Um, What do I want to contribute other than being an athlete? Because I was good at that. I'll tell you more about that later. This hit me in third grade. And I remember my friends used to always ask me, they would say, you know, why is it that you're the darkest one out of your entire family? I just thought it was because I was balling out of control in the grass and in the heat during the summer. But then I found out I was adopted. So then I felt kind of like this sense of rejection, a little bit of loss, a little bit of loneliness. Had a loving family, five individuals. The family I told you about that came all the way from Virginia. Um, they already had a daughter, which is my sister, April. They had a son um, that they adopted in Virginia named Brian. They moved out here because they were getting ready to start a church, but they adopted my other sister, me, and a younger brother. And um, so I grew up in a family of five. How we doing? Grew up with a family of five, and I really witnessed how to fight early, right? Like, we'd probably all fight over this pizza just to get some pizza. Um, and I kind of really realized, like, how do, how do you kind of stand out amongst being different, right? Everybody has different backgrounds, different personalities. And I really believe like God had that for me because it groomed me. It groomed me. So as I got better in sports and academics, um, I kind of pushed off the notion. It wasn't until about seventh or eighth grade when all the black family from uh, Oakland, Hayward, Bay Area, San Francisco. Are any of you from there? No, he's from Modesto, though. You from Modesto? Yes, sir. 209 in the house. There we go. <laughs> so all of the Bay Area cats came out here where I was in the Central Valley. And then on top of being black and being smart, now this is the time, like, I don't know if you guys know about Matt Dre, the whole hyping movement, yeah. all of that <laughs> stuff, right? They then called me Oreo because now they're looking at a real black man. They got the dread, they got the grill, they got the swag, they got all that, right? 
So being class president didn't help, but I still thought I could make, <laughs> make a change. I was the first African-American male class president at Blaker, Blaker Kinzer. Yeah, that sounds weird to say. That was the first time I said that in like 10 years. Wow. Blaker Kinzer, um, get into high school. So this time I'm a little older, getting a little bit more mature. This time I'm five, seven, um, about 130 pounds. 130 pounds entering the ninth grade basketball player. And um, I end up kind of taking on some of the characteristics. Where am I going with that? Like your circle kind of influences you, at least it influenced me. And through high school, I kind of started having some challenges. I started hanging out with different crowds of people. Um, started having sex at a very early age. Is this too raw? I'm just it's being a real honest. talk. Okay, it's a real, real talk, y'all. It's a real talk. And at any point, you no guys edit. Can ask me questions. <laughs> yeah, no, no edit. This is this is the unfiltered version. Um, but I started, I started getting myself exposed to things. I started taking on the mindset of the jock and less of the, the student. Um, and I knew I was going to go to college, but I really didn't know that path, which is why I'm glad each and every one of you are in the IYT program. Um, because I know it takes mentors and it took mentors to kind of help me through. But I remember my dad used to always come up to school and say, why is he taking this class? That's not an A through G requirement. I didn't know what an A through G requirement was. Nobody stopped me. They just, as long as I was performing on the field, on the court, I was good. So um, after high school, uh, before high before high school ended, I had a girlfriend. Anybody have a girlfriend? Thought I got her pregnant. Yeah. Um, and here I am. In an interracial relationship um, with this uh, beautiful white woman, young white woman, African-American male, D1 bound. I'm in the newspaper every single week and I have this kind of hierarchical mindset of like, okay, you're the best athlete. You have a 3.92 GPA. You just got accepted to UC Davis. You have the number one uh, triple jump in the state of California on record at this moment but your girlfriend is pregnant. And then all of this, like, what's going on, what's going on? Found out later she was not pregnant. Still dated her, still doing what we were doing. That could have caused her to get pregnant. Um, Now I'm getting into like the distractions that kind of ate at um, my identity and all of this. So college comes, enter into UC Davis, um, move out from Modesto and I get to college and now it's like my turn, right? It's my turn to kind of spread my wings, fly. and I remember being on a scholarship, so I'm an athlete. I got all this group of friends. I'm the jock on campus. I'm this, I'm that. Um, breaking records, transitioning through. Didn't go to church that whole five years, trying to find out new friends and new people. And they were teaching me things that I wouldn't advise other people to learn right now. Um, but it was because, because I had mentors in high school, I didn't have any in college. Like my friends who were juniors and seniors were my mentors, but because they didn't have their life put together, like I took on a whole nother persona. Like if you were to look at my Facebook or like even, I don't, they didn't have Instagram back then, but if you look at my Facebook, you'd be like, who is this dude? And who is this dude? Because something changed, which I'll get to in a minute. So I remember freshman year um, being in bio, biology, biology, like 2B. Um, we're getting ready to go up to Washington for a track meet. And I remember getting called into the office and getting an email from um, the like admissions. And they, they caught me cheating. 
So I get hit with another milestone moment in my life to like wake me up. And I cheated. I didn't tell them that, of course, but I cheated. And I remember I remember lying out of my teeth, like, no, I'm tall. You guys have these small desks. If you've been to UC Davis, like they have 300, 500 seats in some classes. I'm like, I'm tall. I'm trying to stretch my neck. And I'm like, how do they catch me? Oh, I'm, I'm the only black in the class. This is why I blame them on all of that. Oh, I'm the only black in the class. Oh, I'm the tallest in the class. Oh, they know I'm an athlete, so I, I'm standing out, right? Because I'm on everybody's spectrum and eye. But I cheated. Like, I didn't own up to it then. And then uh, two years later, I get caught again. But this time I didn't cheat. So now I'm feeling some kind of way because I'm like, okay, first you tried to kick me out of school the first time and I should have gotten kicked out. It was only by the grace of God uh, that I believe that that let me not get kicked out because in my mind, again, the same time I almost got my ex-girlfriend pregnant was the same opportunity. I almost got kicked out and then all of this media newspaper would be like that. And I'm just, all this torment was going through my mind. Like, what am I going to do? But again, I was engaging in different things that I probably shouldn't have been engaging in because I, I didn't, I wasn't focused. Um, ended up getting my first GPA um, from graduating from a 3.92 to now my first semester being done to having like a 2.8. And that like rocked me. Cause I was like, wait, I'm, I'm supposed to be smart. But I know I'm not smart because I'm taking all workload classes for the first quarter. And Davis has quarters. They go by quarter. You guys go by semester. So then I, I, I noticed, I'm like, man, like, why am I, was I not prepared for college? Right? Is this possible? Workload is remedial. Workload yeah. is remedial, meaning, meaning you have to take English just to be college approved. Correct. It's a prerequisite before you can take college courses so you don't fail. So I wasted the school's money. And then I, I had to look back on education um, and be like, man, I really wasn't prepared as I thought I was. So as I transitioned into my fourth year, track's almost finishing up. Um, and you can stop me if I'm leaving something out. Go, go. Fourth year, track's almost finishing up. And I get hit with, okay, what are you going to do, basketball or football? Because, okay, you're this top athlete in the school. Um, the football team wants you to play quarterback or receiver. Basketball team, you're dogging them during their summer league, open gyms. So I was like, okay, well, let me go with my first love, basketball, because I had a track scholarship. So um, I chose basketball, I finish um, track, and then I get into my basketball season, and I'm in the, the middle of the summer, like working hard. I'm gaining 15, 20 pounds. By this time, I'm 6'4", 220, right? Um, walk on, transition my scholarship to basketball, I'm good. Um, they ended up changing head coaches. Mm-hmm. Jim left, came all the way from Bradley University with three to four other players who he promised these 18-year-old kids that he would take care of them. He promised their parents, I'll take care of them, right? Um, And if you kind of know basketball or sports, whenever coaches change, sometimes expectations change. So I'm in the gym. ESPN's getting ready to come out. They promised me, getting ready to do this whole write-up. We've never had a (laughs) two-sport athlete go back and forth like this. It's been so long. You've done this. I'm I'm like ready for it. I'm ready for the cameras. I'm ready for the media. I'm ready for all the attention. And um, have you guys seen Hard Knocks in football? Yeah, yeah. Never seen Hard Knocks. So anyway, <laughs> Hard Knocks happened to me. So we're working out, um, playing basketball, dunking on folks in the in the gym. ESPN's getting ready to come out for our media day to take pictures the very next day. 
I change in the locker room. We're getting ready to head over to lift weights. As I'm like in between the uh, coach's office, in between the weight room, they're like, Coach, I'm green. Coach wants to talk to you. So because I seen Hard Knocks, which is the NFL football kind of like day, before they cut people, they call him in the office. So I'm like, are you kidding me? So I get in the office. He's like, I'm sorry, I have to let you go. We're battling a Title IX issue between women's sports and men's sports. So I'm going to have to let you go, unfortunately, because I promise these kids you're way better than them, but I have to build this program out. First time in my life I've ever been told no. And I go to this like dark depression of, well, my whole life, I kind of surrounded my identity. I don't know who my, who my biological parents are. I kind of grabbed onto this identity of sports because this is what kind of led me through. But now I hit that hurdle where I'm like, okay, who really am I? Like, what am I really called to do? I've never been told no. So then that's when I started getting into the drugs, the drinking, the smoking, hanging out in the freshman dorms. Like, I'm sure a lot of girls and friends from the African-American dorms, like knew me by first name. Not good, don't suggest it. But when you're lost and you're hurt, like you end up allowing other people to be lost and hurting them. Um, some people say like hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that's true. Um, but I'm in college, right? Family don't know none of this. It's just you. It's just you. And it's just you by yourself. You're in college. How you doing? You're in college and you feel like everything. I'm the first one to go to university. How we doing? Good. First one to get go to a university. Um, out of my family. Um, I'm the golden child. All of this stuff on this pedestal to them and to me. But inside, I'm like damaged. I'm like suffering. I'm like, how am I, how are my parents going to know, right? So I'm looking at my life. I'm like, man, I, this happened in high school. This happened in college. Almost got kicked out. Just got cut from the basketball team. I'm going to just drink. I'm going to just smoke. I'm going to just party. Got the nickname for a loco because I would just drink for locos. And just I'd be the party animal, right? And um, <clears throat> after all of that, I ended up meeting this black girl in my class in biochemistry. And it was like right before I graduated, which would have been 2012. No, 20. When did I graduate? 2012. You graduated 2011? No, 2014. I'm 2014. Okay. See, that's how, that's how old I am now. I can't remember when I graduated. 2012. <laughs> I was supposed to graduate 2011, but I had to do a fifth year because I was studying um, a bachelor's in science and exercise biology. So I'm in this biochem class and I see this black girl. At this time, I'm still dogging out women, trying to figure out who am I doing the whole power trip, feeling good about myself. If I can't do it on the field, I'll do it in the dorms. So um, at this time, I see her and I see this African dude. African people are so smart. Everybody's smart, but this African person, he had, he had a, just an impeccable brain. And he said, we should just study together. So we're studying together. And me and this girl had to share this earplug for like six hours, right? And we're studying biochemistry, listening to podcasts, taking notes, I'm still very studious, just stupid in some of my decisions, right? And um, we we walk over there, and I'm like, this is the first time in my life I haven't ever thought about um, lust with this girl. Um, So I follow her to this church. This church, like everything that I grew up in a pastorship, my dad and my own pastor church and all that stuff. And I go to this church with her on campus called Black Campus Ministry under InterVarsity Ministries, and my whole life like gets wrecked like I get 
confronted with who I am. I get confronted with all these things, all the stuff that I used to hear back when I was a child, like it's starting to sprout up. And um, I, lo and behold, I just kind of start changing, right? Because now I'm getting ready to graduate. What am I going to do? College years is over. I say that because when you're in college right now, like this is your life. But like, if you don't connect those dots outside, like that narrative of your life is going to hit that road when you graduate mm-hmm. and you're going to be stuck. And I found myself stuck. Um, <clears throat> ended up um, working for a Fortune 500 company. Felt really good in the field that I was studying, but I'm really good at the gift of gab, right? I just had this presence with people. So as as I'm making these six-figure dollars, working there almost six months, they want to send me out to another uh, state or another area to open up this company, which is exciting for some, but inside I'm like, I don't really know if I really want that. This whole time I thought I wanted money. This whole time I thought I wanted this and that, and I'm and I'm good. But like I was making all of that money, and I didn't have the character to keep me. Mm. And I say that because you guys can have aspirations to open up a kitchen, do whatever you want to do. I just met you. Whatever your aspirations are, what do you want to do? Be a teacher. Be a teacher. Cool. What do you want to do? Uh, become a professor. Okay. Nice. What are you going to do? Attorney. Attorney. So you see how I just changed it? What do you want to do? What are you going to do? Um, it's a difference in language, but... For me, it became that moment, like, trying to change, like, is this even what I want to do? I'm making money. I can provide. I don't know if this is what I want to do. So not having the character to keep it, I ended up quitting, blindfold, just total darkness. Didn't do a two-week notice, nothing. (laughs) I said, boss, you're not going to understand. I know I'm the top salesman. I know it's not going to make any sense. I know we're making a whole lot of money, but, like, I can't do this because I'm hitting that block again where I'm feeling insecure about who I am. After that, got called to the ministry, became a, a minister, um, and started giving back. I, I found a nonprofit organization called the Roberts Family Development Center. You guys know who that is? Where that is? Okay, it's in Sacramento. And their mission is to, in order to help the community thrive, like the individual needs of the family members must be met. So I'm in this school, and um, I'm going to try to fast forward because I know you guys aren't here yeah. this long. Exactly. I'm in this school playing basketball over in Foothill Ranch um, over in North Highlands. And my boss comes over. He's like, that's not why I bought you here. That's not why I brought you here to be in the presence of these boys, not to play basketball with them. And I'm thinking, well, this I'm having like a different relationship. I'm dunking on them. They're having fun. <laughs> They're coming. Our attendance is great. Um, I'm helping them out. And he's like, that's not why I bought you here. So he removed me from that site. Put me into a new site. It's called, it's a national foundation called the National Children's Defense Fund. They do a whole lot of other things, but what they do is a summer leadership program, a literacy program to get kids to fall in love with reading. These books are culturally relevant. It's a six-week program, and we would have been the first in the in the city of Sacramento to actually bring it here. It goes back all the way to like the civil rights movement, MLK days when the whites and browns and blacks from the north would go down on the Freedom Rider buses to teach students in the um, south how to read. They'd have voting sessions. They would be on the blocks. They'd be on the back of churches. They'd be (coughs) on the parks. They'd be in the streets. They'd be even in homes just teaching people how to read um, and how to like get educated on voting and how to advocate for that. So I get immersed in a 3,000 plus people of color like yourselves in Tennessee and I hear words I haven't heard before that like you can make a difference in yourself you can make a difference 
in your family. You can make a difference in your community. You can make a difference in your state, your nation, your world with hope, education, and action. And I'm supposed to leave this program, but something was turning in me. Like I started believing what I was hearing and coupled that with my faith, like totally just transformed me. I was 22 years old. Um, and I remember the day sitting in the car, calling my mom at this time, my brother's in gangs. He was, he's light skinned. Remember he's adopted. So he thought he was a North day, which is like a blood, right? So he's always hanging out, always hanging out with blood. Right. Um, and my sister ran off. She had two kids at a wedlock. My other sister got married, moved to, um, Virginia. I know moved to Seattle. My 16 year old brother had a baby at 15. So like, I'm still the golden child. So my parents are wondering, sitting here like, did we do a bad job of parenting? So I'm sitting here. I remember the day talking to my mom and I just told her, I said, you know, all those years, like, I just want to let you know, like you guys have been an amazing family. You guys have been great parents and all the seeds that you sown, they're going to come to fruition. And for me, it's happening now. You're getting ready to witness um, something changing me that's going to change our whole family. She started bawling and crying and I was bawling and crying too. So I found out that you can give back at a young age. And I never thought about that before because I was like, I'm going to get my money. I'm going to be a nurse practitioner. I'm going to go ahead and go forth and um, heal people and, and do all of that good stuff and then just not never go back to the hood, right? Wrong. So I'm... <laughs> So I'm living in Del Paso Heights. You guys know where Del Paso? Have you ever been to Del Paso Heights? Yes, many times. You know DPH? What does DPH stand for? I live in Del Paso Heights. Okay. When I moved from Sacramento, from UC Davis, over to Causeway, 11 miles to Del Paso Heights, they said DPH. And I asked OGs, I'm like, what is DPH? They said it stands for deepest part of hell. And I'm like, really? Right? All the gang banging, all the stuff. It's my first time ever seeing women walk around with needles in their arm. Literally, like, walking around with a needle in their arm. Kids selling weed on the block, um, drive-by shootings, um, people getting stabbed in our backyard because we lived in like this complex, car chases, police, and all you hear is sirens all the day. That might have been your guys' life, but like this was my first experience. I would call the police, they wouldn't show up for like three hours. My first experience. So like coupled on that, like these doors started opening to be able to give back. And I had this impeccable like drive to work with people of color because I noticed that they were witnessing something and it was causing their their belief system and their abilities to like keep them limited and i had to go through all what i had to go through so that my belief system won't be limited so i had to give back because you can only pour out what's been poured into you um like this cup this glass like you can see through it but if i had that round table cup like people are looking at you guys like i don't really know what he he's capable of like i don't really know what he possesses. I don't know what he's called to do. I don't know what purpose he's called to do. And even sometimes yourself even may go through that. Like, man, am I really doing what I really want to do? Am I just pleasing my parents or pleasing my, my friends? Like, what do you really want to do? And how are you going to attack that? And I say that because you can only pour out what you pour in. And I truly believe that you, what you listen to, you give power to. So at 22 years old, I decided to change my circle of friends. I decided to start hanging out with different people who were making difference called change agents in the community. So um, I started listening different. I started realizing my like my habits and my character that I said had that six-figure job that couldn't keep that six-figure <coughs> job or could have, but just would have ruined me and all those around me. Um, I had to work on my character. And sometimes in life, you got to like put a pause and just like really work on your character. 
because you can see it. You can have nice groups like this, but like if you never really take that time to just like reflect on me and who am I, like ID me for your identity, then you will miss it. And the world is literally like waiting. Like since I've made that decision, um, I've led nonprofit organizations. I've sat on the boards for the local control accountability plan um, for the school budget of Sac City Unified School District, which has over $550 million annually. And I witness millions upon millions of dollars not go to students, people of color, low income, English language learners and foster youth. Um, not receive these resources and I battled for like two years and I realized like people's like, oh, you're too young to sit on that. Well, I was appointed and elected. Uh, I was appointed and um, con committed to the committee by the school district. But it was because I made the difference to make a change and I was vocal about it. Because once you learn who you are, what you have to do, you have to feed that. Mm -hmm. And once your attitude changed, you have to marry that attitude with like aptitude. Like you got to feed that, whatever that passion is, if it's cooking, go ahead and do that. If it's going to be a professor, like feed that. Start interviewing people that right now. If it's you want to be a teacher, feed what 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 uh, you want to teach. How you articulate. How do you make curriculums? If you're not already doing that, like feed that. Like become a student of the art if you haven't already, because like I truly believe like every each and every one of you and even me included, like we're all like seeds released in the earth, and our job is to nurture that with what we listen to, what we watch, what we hear, what we talk about who we hang around with. And then once that seed bursts, then like trees grow, right? And this capacity, like each of you have trees and you guys have fruit in you, but like if we're not nurturing it, if we're not putting aptitude in that, if we're not changing our circles, if we're not thinking about changing our circles, if we ain't trying to do right, but we, we put on a mask right now because we in here, but like you can go back and hit the blunt. You can go back and have the sex. You can go back and do what you got to do. You can drink. I'm not, I'm not condemning none of those. What I'm saying is just think about, is this, is this contributing to me or is it taken away from me, right? Because there's tons of 40-year-olds who had a whole lot of fun when they were 20s in their college and say it was the best life ever. And they regret a lot of things that they did. And there's still things I regret too, but I, I know I learned from them and that's allowed me to grow. So we're all seeds released into the earth to be able to grow trees and serve our fruit to the world. But if we don't nurture that seed, you'll just be another uh, seed on a windowsill, never put in soil. And like, I don't want that. I think that'd be robbing people of like your gifts and your talents and like who you are. So like possess who you are, figure out who you are and then like marry that with aptitude. And that will change like your altitude because um, for me, being around different circles of influential people, um, being invited to places and being the youngest at the table with a whole bunch of gray heads talking about policy, talking about procedures, talking about city. How do we change the city? How do we improve outcomes for boys and men of color? Being selected to be on the My Brother's Keeper initiative that Barack Obama started when he was in presidency. Speaking to the Obama Foundation two weeks ago on Friday because they wanted to hear, what are we doing here in Sacramento? You guys have IYT, that's dope. You guys are on the healthy committee. I now represent the Black Child Legacy Campaign to reduce death rates for African-American families in Del Paso and North Sacramento. There's seven sites throughout the entire county. It's over like, I think, $20 million ordeal throughout the time. And it's been almost two and a half years. And we've already seen decreases in perinatal health, women who are pregnant, infants. Every other week, a baby dies here in Sacramento and half of them happen to be black. 
Um, but we don't make up half of the population. Mm. That's called disproportionality rates. Uh, we make about 13% of the youth, um, zero to like 18. Um, 16% of the youth, zero to 24 people of color. But um, as I started looking at all these things and I started attaching, okay, I'm supposed to be someone to speak life into these kids who didn't have a dad like me. I'm the one who's supposed to speak life into these college students who are battling internally but are afraid to say really what they're dealing with. I'm the one who's supposed to be able to go out and change and be that bridge connector between generations and this generation to build that bridge so like everybody can get access to resources. Everybody can succeed. Everybody can be able to benefit from what we have to offer here in Sacramento. And if it wasn't for my attitude, like I can do this. If it wasn't for like the people I was surrounded by, like I can do this and say, Ray, you can do this. Then like, I want to be sitting here today. Mm-hmm. And that led me to really running my race. I, uh, I ran for Sacramento County Board of Education um, because I believe in closing the, the opportunity and achievement gap of people of color. Because um, I don't know if you guys know, but in Sacramento, um, people of color, all of us included, but specifically African-Americans um, make up 42% of the juvenile justice system for felony offenses, but they only make up 13% of the population. So I ran for that reason. How do you, how do you make teachers relate to students? Now I'm teaching teachers. Now I'm teaching professors. Now I'm in the classroom doing what I'm gifted to do. And it's effortless. And I don't think it's like that hard, but they're like, man, you got, you're so good. How do you do that? But it's because things I listen to, things I read, the things I'm around and then God's gift and just allowing me to serve this. I appreciate you guys allowing me to serve this. Um, I ran and it was the closest race. My first time running against all odds. Right. I'm black. First off, never had a black person. Yeah. I didn't know I was black. But I told you I'm I'm, I'm Indian. I see it now. Yeah. Um, So I was the youngest one ever to run for that seat. Um. I was the only African-American to run for that seat for area two um, against all odds. Right. And everyone had way more money because in politics, you have to have a way you have to have a lot of money because you got to do flyers. You got to travel. You got to speak. You got to do all of that. And who did your campaign? So my friend C.J. Lynch, Michael's brother, Michael's brother, he ran his campaign. Yeah. Michael's yeah. brother ran my campaign. We were two peas in a pot, not knowing <laughs> what we were doing, but just wanted to make a change. Right. And we surrounded ourselves with people who are wiser than us because we, we don't profess to know everything. And people bought into the vision of um, early literacy programs, culturally competent literacy programs. People bought into the vision of hiring people of color in schools and changing our, our uh, restorative justice practices so that students don't have to get suspended or expelled or suspended in in-school suspension so it won't show up on your data reports but they're really not doing nothing. They're detached from the classroom and they're just deteriorating. So breaking that school to prison pipeline, I can go on and on about that. So anywho, um, and then making sure that parents' voices were heard because every time they talk about school, they always talk about, we're teaching the child this, we're talking to the child this, but the parent ain't learning nothing. And I know for a fact, because I ran after school programs for four years, that you can put a building block on a child and send them right back into that environment and they'll get knocked off. So you have to change the way you do it. You have to build the parents just as much as you're building the students. Like mm. Tell them, show them how to raise a scholar. Tell them that they are a scholar themselves. Help them out in some of their needs because they have a lot of needs here in Sacramento. Yeah. And um, it resonated with a lot of people. <clears throat> 97,000 voters were typically supposed to vote. I think they had about 
40 something thousand vote um the night of the election i'm suited and booted mom and dad's there um i i'm looking at the screen results come out i'm up by one percent we're yelling we're screaming we're laughing um we're high-fiving everybody but with the new voting system right um it takes a little time for them to get all the numbers in so they said okay well don't celebrate too much just wait that friday this was on tuesday that friday this was just this year june that friday they came out with another results she's up okay i'm not gonna panic because they said it's gonna take five weeks <laughs> the next week comes out she's up by a little bit more and i'm like man it's okay i'm gonna keep the faith god if it's for me it's for me if it's not it's not um but i inspired a lot of people i'm grateful for that um the fourth week like she's up by a lot <laughs> i'm like all right, man, like <laughs> Facebook, everybody's hitting me up. Like, I'm so glad you won and this and that. I'm like, I don't know if I won now. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> the fifth week, last and final week, we're all waiting at the computer. Um, friends are hitting me up. Did they come out? Did they come out? They didn't come out yet. Um, we get the results. I receive um, 11,100 and plus votes. And then I'm looking down the screen. I'm looking to see what she received and the other person received. And she received 11,700 plus votes. Dang. I lost by 2%. 2%. Never been in politics. I'm too green, they said. <laughs> I lost by 2%. Closest race in the entire county in like the history of Sacramento County. 2%. And I say that because although I lost, I really feel like I won. Like I, I'm in the community now and like I'm getting called on to answer questions they're asking me to sit on panels. Um, I'm doing stuff like this and being able to give back. And I learned a lot from that. Number one, I learned you got to stand on your own two feet because I've never been publicly blasted like that on public. I don't know how superstars do it, but I learned how to stand on my own two feet. And had I not gone through the trials of like, who am I? What do I believe? Mm-hmm. What am I standing for? You don't stand for nothing. Um, if I hadn't gone through that, almost being kicked out of, of college at UC Davis for cheating, almost getting my girlfriend pregnant, um, going through rejection at an early age, being the only black person in the room, like all of those things that I looked at, like deficits were actually like things that built me and allowed me to grow because I didn't know I was going to run. I just decided to because everyone said there's a seat open and you should run. And I prayed about it and I decided to talk to my wife about it and just said, okay, I'm going to do it. And I did. So we ended up losing by 2%. But like the champion in my mind, like I said, I still feel like I won because I stayed true to me. Like I didn't compromise what my beliefs were. I didn't compromise because the money wanted you to. I didn't say what you wanted me to just because you put X amount of dollars in my campaign. Like I'm going to stay true to the community that I serve. I'm going to stay true to the hood that I serve. I'm going to stay true to what I believe is right and what our students deserve. Status quo is going to be status quo. If you stay conventional, you'll never enter into the creative. And I didn't want to be conventional. I wanted to think outside the box. So I ended up losing. Um, now we're here. Um, I'll be having a book coming out soon. I'll share that with you all. Um, and I was just opening up for any questions. That was a lot. Yeah. Um, and I left out a lot, too. Yeah, I know you did. I know you did. So you're going to ask me what you <laughs> yeah, need to ask yeah. me, and I'll go ahead and, and uh, fill it in. I guess I'll just start with the first, because I from the car conversation, mm-hmm. um, what is one of the things that you learned from running that campaign 
Um, I think you mentioned something about, mm-hmm. you know, you had supporters and they started leaving because of yeah. certain things. Tell me what happened. So there was a bill that came out. Um, it was on conversion therapy, what they call conversion therapy for homosexuals or people who have same-sex attractions. Um, I was asked by our church to go and appeal it, um, not on the basis of trying to change homosexuals or same-sex attraction, but the, what they were trying to put it in there was saying that um, if you try to change either literature or sell anything to people to make them think that they can change their philosophy or their attraction to somebody, it would be called as like um, counterfeit. So then they, they can sue you. Now, being a church, um, we talk about being changed, even if you're not same-sex attraction or even if you're not having um, homosexual tendencies or thoughts or actions. Um, but if you even put to the principles, so I thought it went one against religious rights and two, I think it kind of limited like, okay, well, there's people who have been changed. Number one, they didn't like hearing that from the people that who spoke up against it. Um, and I got all of this flack because I went to the Capitol, most politically charged place. I went to the Capitol, put, put my six, five self in the microphone. And I said, Ray Green tip ministries. We oppose this bill. Now, I was going to say why, but the line was so long, they didn't want to hear why. They just wanted you to name and, why, and just oppose. So they can tally up who, however many oppose. Next day, even that day, I started getting text messages. Pictures started popping up. Ray Green opposes gay conversion therapy. Ray Green hates homosexuals. I started getting calls. Are you part of that Trump evangelical church? And I'm like, what? Like, what are you guys talking about? Like, my sister's gay. Like, I love her just the same. Like, I'm not trying to change anybody, but you shouldn't restrict people. If they want to seek help, then let them seek help in their ways fit, especially if it's spiritual. Um, And all this stuff came out. So at that time, I had four supporters, right? People on the county, people on the city, people on the school board. Um, Once they heard that, this is where I learned how politics work. Once they heard that, they were like, oh, I, I don't want, I can't, I can't. Four people pulled out. I lost over $10,000 in funding um, because they said, they said, you know, I can't do that because I still, I got to run for reelection. <laughs> and I don't want that to. And I'm like, okay, you either going to stick with me for what we believe as far as what the students go. Like that has nothing to do with students, but that was something else. But because it's going to flaw the way people view you, then like, okay, I get it. If that's what you need to do, then that's what you need to do. That's okay. Um, but what I didn't realize is like, so the SAC B put me on blast. You guys can look it up. SAC B put me up on blast saying that they thought it was going to, they said that I said that it was going to stop pastoral counseling. Fast forward, I lost it, right? Um, and there was also um, an LGBTQ person that was running in my race. So he was using that like a lot. <laughs> And people started degrading my character. And I'm like, I'm like, I've never treated anybody different, right? So I started asking my friends, I'm like, have I ever treated you any different? They're like, no. I'm like, then why are you believing the hype? Because TV and stuff like the lie. And then I was calling all, all my political friends, like, have I ever treated you any different? Because they are LGBTQ and I have a lot of LGBTQ friends um, and associates and coworkers that I work with and my sister's LGBTQ. And I asked them a question. I was like, have I ever treated you any different? And they all said no. And I was like, well, then how come you can't back me for that, right? But again, when you're trying to put on a facade or an image to the public, then you have to live by that. That wasn't me. Like, I'm not going to put on a facade. I'm not going to compromise, whatever. Um, And it was very controversial. 
So I, I fought all that slack for like two months. Um, after the election, that, that bill passes. It passes the assembly. It passes the Senate. Now, Governor Brown just has to sign it. So as I'm sitting, uh, I was actually at work. Sitting at work, um, I get a text message. And I get a text message saying that Evan Lowe, the person who wrote this bill, just pulled the whole bill. Like, it's not going to happen at all. And I was like, why did he pull the bill? So I click on it. And he pulled the bill because he said he did a church tour and he went to talk to all the pastors and he realized that all the pastors, it wasn't that they wanted to change LGBTQ. It was that they wanted to give everyone the same rights to live the way you want to live. And that restricted it, that they love LGBTQ people, that they don't think that they're any different than anybody else. But there is a, a certain group of people that may have been introduced that way, either sexually assaulted, whatever, whatever you want to put that past or whatever, that want to seek change. And once he felt the threat and the rejection subside, like he was like, okay, I need to make some changes to this bill because it would exclude all the thousands that do want to seek help. So the Lord told me that day, he said, you know what? Like the battle's not yours. Like it's mine. You fought all that slack, like newspapers. I tell you, I never been through this in my life. Like I'm walking down the street and people like me mugging me, people tearing down my sign. I'll show you pictures like my signs on the ground. People kicking people's signs out their yard. Like I'm seeing them thrown out in the in the middle of the freeway. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting to them. Not because of that, but because of my message about African-American people of color. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going against the status quo and people are getting upset. That means people are paying attention. But I, I went through all of that, um, but never changing my character, still remaining who I was, not compromising. And then I realized like, you didn't even have to speak on anything because God will fight your battles. I don't know if that's where you wanted me to go with it, but that's that's what it was for me. It's like, okay, um, God will fight your battles, even when others look at you and you figure out who your real friends are and all that. So yeah, I went through that. Anybody else got a question? Next question. Ask me some deep questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, this might be personal, right? Now, yeah. Is, is and what's your name again? Anthony. 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 That's my middle name. Okay. See. Yeah. Motown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So, um, is the one is the the young lady that you almost got pregnant? Is she your current wife right now, or is it now the African American woman that you ended up sharing biochemistry with? He got girls on his mind. <laughs> um. So that's, that's a good question. That's a good question. So, um, my ex girlfriend actually went to Sac State, and I was at Davis. Um. After that incident, we still dated during college. I ended up breaking up with her. Ended up breaking up with her. It was a lot of need, a lot of uh, rejection in her own life, but she was finding dependency in me. So if you have a woman that's finding dependency in you, that's not healthy. Like you want her to become whole and you want to be whole before you guys get together. Um, so to answer the second part of that question, the black young lady that I met in class, um, I ended up following her, gave my heart to Christ, totally changed my character and all of this. And yes, we ended up getting married. Yeah. She's also a teacher. Teaches right down in in the community of uh, Leah Tata Floyd, right by Marina Vista. And do you guys even know where that's at? No, you know where Fifth Street is in Broadway? We, yeah. yeah, go down Broadway. It's the largest housing redevelopment agency in Sacramento at <coughs> SHRA Housing. I delivered pizza there. You did? Yeah, they, the time. <laughs> you, you didn't work for Pizza Hut then? No, nah, no. Nah. You know why I know? Because they don't deliver there. They don't deliver We're not there. The only ones that you know why they don't deliver there? Because it's a concentrated. <laughs> 
um, pot of toxicity and trauma. My students who went to school there, um, it's just like literal light. Concentrate. Like my hands is getting, getting <laughs> stiff. Right. Trying to, trying to. <laughs> it's crazy how, how our, our world is. But basically, you have this rich, affluent community, Land Park. You have this hood community gated right there by the freeway. All the exhaust comes over. You have a high school that they just built where students don't even usually go there. Then you have an elementary school where most of the students go. Um, but it's so concentrated that, like, my students, father got shot six times um, holding his two-year-old daughter. My students had their mom murdered in their house, stabbed and thrown out the window. They fist fight. They do dog fights. They do it all. And this is this broad painted picture with all this trauma of kids, low-income communities, all this trauma that carried from that community 35 feet across the, the way of the school. And imagine trying to teach that student who has to worry about fighting, who has to worry about his dad or his, his mom's boyfriend, either touching him, raping his sister, or, and I'm not trying to paint like a devastating picture, but this happens, it happens everywhere, not just there. But um, I found out because I was doing a breast cancer walk and I, a family won the breast cancer. I'm like, cool, we're going to get your whole family. People. How many people you got in your family? He said 20. I didn't question him because sometimes people live in that many people in the house. I said, okay, cool, I'm going to get you guys pizza. I'm on the phone. I'm like, hey, you guys deliver? And they said, sure, we deliver. I'm like, cool, okay, can you guys come to, um, what's the address over there? Like 401 McClatchy Way. And they're like, um, we don't, we don't deliver over there. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't deliver? I just promised his family that I'm gonna get their whole family twenty pizzas, our family pizza, and they said we don't deliver there. And that's when I got enlightened too. Like, okay, this is like segregation is dead, but segregation still is. So that's how I found out you didn't work for Pizza Hut. <laughs> so yeah, but I did marry uh, the beautiful wife. Her name is Demetria. Green. She teaches third grade. She taught kindergarten. She believes in foundation of, of education. She also worked in freedom school um, and she took those elements and all of her students are doing well um, right now. And she can sing. And she can sing. Yeah, she can sing. Yeah. Was that like, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting somebody else. I just wanted to ask that question. Yeah. Ask a follow up. Mm-hmm. Um, was that like through the development, like you said, of your identity? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. During your time of high school, yeah, you felt maybe going out with the Caucasian woman was like, okay, well, I'm like basically the all star right now. And mm-hmm. This is who I should. Yeah, so growing up again, it was very few black girls. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't like black girls. They all came from the Bay Area and their hair was nappy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but then it wasn't until I got to college and I'm like seeing the beauty in black women, right? Like, nappy is good. Like, yeah. it's not bad. <laughs> okay, but it's because of my environment, I was. Remember what you listen to, right. you you empower. So I started even looking down on my own people, like, because yeah. I'm listening to all white folks, right? <laughs> right? And um, so I had to do a mind change. But yeah. in high school, I dated I dated her, and there's nothing wrong with dating outside your race. But I dated her because that was what was available, and that was what I was told to do, and that's what I did. But when I get to college, you kind of get liberated. So. Um, once I started working on my character and I realized, like, if I don't have anything to offer, like, I don't have nothing to offer you. Like, we can pretend. We can play house. Yeah. We can pretend to play house and we can live in this misguided expectations, which just results to false identity, false relationship and false commitment. How can you cheat on somebody if you never even gave them a commitment? 
I got cheated on in college too. I cheated on a lot of girls. Um, but it was because I was seeking other things. I was seeking power. I was seeking kind of authority. When I was upset, I would just do what I did. But um, it wasn't until I started going to church and I started looking at myself a little bit different. Like, okay, what do you have to really offer? Are you really whole? No, you're not. So why are you putting all of these people through? And I started saying, okay, if, if you can kill two birds with one stone, like I started looking at women different. I'm like, okay, you're not just some freshmen, fresh meat. You, you, you are a sister. You have a purpose and you're, you're somebody's soon to be wife. Cause I know you ain't mine. So like if, if I fail because I didn't take the responsibility for who, what I have to contribute, then not only am I damaging me, I'm damaging you and I'm damaging his future wife. Cause they have to go through that. So I had to go through this whole, uh, ideal crisis and identity like seek to figure out who I was because at high school and in college I was always with a girlfriend and my mom said you've never been alone so I chose okay well let me just try it let me just be alone and just connect to something different instead of finding value in women and when I did that's when I found value in women and I was able to see okay who am I attracted to Right. Because what you what you carry on the inside or what you exude on the outside is what you attract. And like I tell women this all the time when I'm talking to them, like they're always like these ghetto guys always. Going, well, what is what do you what do you what are you putting out for them to attract them to you? Right. My wife included. She's from L.A. She got kicked out of seven schools. She graduated from a continuation school. She's been in juvenile hall. She went to J.C. Did he? Yeah. Nobody <laughs> would know. Right. Nobody would know. Right. <laughs> But when you, too, when you have two hurt people, you'll end up hurting people and you end up hurting each other. But when you have two healed people, then you can bring healing to each other and healing to others. So it took that to realize, like from my past, and that's where growth happens. Because if you just look at your past and you don't look at what you can grow from it then you, or learn from it, then you're not really growing. You're just kind of traveling through and making the same mistakes. And I didn't want to make that same mistake with her. So um, we decided to stay abstinent while we were together. We failed the first couple of months. I'm not going to lie. But that's because when you sow seeds for so long, like you reap those same seeds for so long and it's going to take some habits. But like I tell men all day, I'm like, okay, if you really want to put test your relationship, tell them you ain't sleeping with them no more. Who you cheating on? Who you blah, blah, blah. Who you depend on the type of girl you have. Right? <laughs> Just saying that's what it was for me. Um, <laughs> But then when you start valuing women and they tell you no, and then you're like, okay, I don't have to worry about her. She has a relationship with somebody else, mm-hmm. right? You get the hint right. here, yeah. um, and not just here. So because she had a relationship with up here and I had a relationship up here, we were able to find each other trustworthy enough to be able to find commitment. Because she, she's not doing wrong because she loves me. She's not doing wrong because she loves him. And I was like, okay, now I have to see how she does when she gets angry. Um, she went off on somebody one time and then I see, started seeing the transition. Um, she started praying. When her uncle passed away, she prayed. When she almost got kicked out of school and she couldn't afford school, like she prayed. Um, how did she talk to me? How did I talk to her? Did I curse her out? Did I do anything like that? I didn't do anything like that. I've done that in the past. But I realized like how I talk, how I act, how I approach her shows her her value and she was able to see the king in me. And I asked her, I'm like, why did you choose to date me out of all the other people? And she said, well, because I seen a king in you, you date when you didn't see it yourself. Oh, 
<laughs> that hit the heart, right? Women don't talk like that now. Like right now, now we feel like we're in college and we gotta do what we gotta do to be status quo. Yeah. But like, if you don't want to be status quo, then like you have to have creativity to be who you want to be. Find somebody who's gonna be able to say, "I respect that creativity," and I'm a I'm a build with you. So ended up marrying her in 2016. We dated for four years before we got married. Two years now. Yep. Two years now. Yep. We got time for a few more questions. I'm sorry I'm long-winded. You can tell me to cut it off. I know how to do the two-minute thing, the panel speak button, and I know how to pull it back. It's all good, man. Yeah. Yeah. So my question is, my name's Christian, by the way. Okay. What was the first indication or, I guess, maybe first experience or something that you remember, right, um, where you realized you weren't whole? Mm-hmm. How, how did that come to be? Third grade. I got introduced to uh, the fact that I was adopted. Mm. And I was like, man, I'm the only darkest one in my family. Like, everybody was right. Like, I'm different. Like, started wondering, like, okay, why did my parents give me up? I left that out. Why did my parents give me up? Um, Did they not love me? What was it? Um, I was thankful that I was adopted, right? I was thankful that I was given a second chance, but I noticed that I was a little different. Um, the other part came in like junior high, high school when my friends wanted to do stuff. Like I knew I wasn't cut from that kind of cloth, but I would try to do it anyway. And it just wouldn't work. Like I would be the one always get caught stealing. I'd be the one always getting caught smoking. I'd be the one always getting caught looking at pornography. Like why me? Like y'all never get caught. Like I'm not cut from y'all's cloth, man. Like I'm not supposed to be doing this. Like something's different, but I'm, but because my friends are doing what they're doing, like I either had to like blend in. Or like either stand out. And I just chose to kind of try to blend in. But I noticed I was different. Um, go with your second question. My second question? Um, so you say you're just trying to blend in with them? Mm-hmm. What made you want to separate from that though? Well, what gave you like that, that intuition? Or how did that intuition come to be? Yeah. Wasn't <clears throat> until I was about 21, 22. When I, when I got cut from the basketball team. When I realized, man, like your whole life. You've been living this false identity as an athlete. That was your identity, but now you're told no. And now you're coming up. You're not going to be doing sports anymore. Like, who who are you again? Because in college, it was like all four or five years. Like, I'm good. I can blend in. I can talk the talk. I can walk the walk. I can party with the hardest of them. Um, but it wasn't until like, wait a minute, life's about to kick in. Like, I'm not going to have financial aid. I'm not going to have this housing. I'm not going to have some of the things that I have while I'm in school right now. I actually have to make a living. I have to actually provide. I do want a family, but I don't even know where to really start. So then I started that process, and I just happened to so follow this black girl to um, this church group. I was really following her. I was still talking to three other women at the time, but I was following her to this group, and they were talking about um, God. And then out of nowhere, I'm just like, y'all, that's not right. Like, it says this, this, this. That's not right. It says that, that, that. And they're looking at me like, who is this? Like, Ray? Like, weren't you just at the club? Like, that's what it's like, yeah, but y'all wrong. And it was because my parents, I was raised by a family of pastors and ministers. But I didn't realize those seeds that they were planting all my life. Like, you're going to hit a time where, okay, once you got exposed to something different that nurtured that and they put water on that, now I had increase. And that's when I started realizing, like, wait a minute. The way I'm living right now is not 
cool with me, not because I thought it was wrong for everybody else, but it wasn't cool for me. I started questioning. And once I started questioning, like, don't just leave that question a question, like start seeking that out because a lot of people will leave it there and just do what they got to do to kind of hide all this stuff. Like a lot of people do this. They'll, they'll carry their childhood like this and they'll put it underneath a box of pizza of life and then they'll walk around and then they go to college and they carry it right here and then they graduate and they put it right here and then they have kids and they have it right here. But like, did that pain or that trauma ever leave? Or that question ever leave? Like, no, no, you gotta unpack all of this just to get to this. So mine came when I was 21, 22, um, following a girl, now my wife. Yeah. And just to kind of close it out, because I forgot, um, and this, oh, yeah. this might be a long-winded one, but uh, I mean, it just makes sense for to kind of wrap it up. Mm-hmm. You were adopted. Yeah, yeah. Something happened. Yeah. That tied so, it all back together. Yeah. So I was adopted when I was two years old. Um, again, didn't know who who my family was. Um, it was about yeah, twenty two. Kind of realized I kind of just gave up. Like, okay, cool. Do you want to see your dad? Mm, I don't even know who he is. I don't know who my mom is. I'm good. Never really carrying or ha- carrying that that anger or that issue anymore in my life. Um, <coughs> And last year, I get a call from my mom and dad, like, no, from my mom, my brother, my other brother, my other sister. Now, if you get a call from your mom, your brother, your other brother, your other sister, you know something's up. Back to back to back. Just got out of church. I didn't answer that first. I'm like, but I didn't see a call from my dad. So I answered the phone and I'm like, hey, everything okay? My heart's like beating. She's like, are you sitting down? And I'm like, yeah, how's dad? I'm thinking something happened to my father. And she says, she says, he's fine, but you won't believe what just happened. Your biological brother and sister just came in here looking for you. This is 28 years. I'm 29 now. So this was last year, November 20th of last year, coming on a year to this November, that I got introduced to my 26-year-old sister who graduated from Sac State. Didn't even know she was at Sac State. I was at her black graduation. We passed by each other and didn't even know each other. Um, Got introduced to my 20, now 25-year-old sister, um, she graduated from UC Irvine in public health. My sister graduated from gerontology here and um, got introduced to my 22-year-old brother who plays basketball right now for Stanislaus State. Looks just like me. Then I got introduced to my 79-year-old grandmother, my 59-year-old aunt, my 50-something years. He's probably 50. He says he's 50. He's probably 60-something. <laughs> 60-something-year-old <laughs> um, uncle. And, um, you know, I'm like, I'm like shocked, right? I drive all the way back down to Modesto. I'm like shocked. This is the first time I've ever looked anybody in the eye and was able to see me. Like my brother looks very identical like me. And um, I just remember hugging my grandma and I have a video too. Remember hugging my grandma. She's like, we've been praying for you for so long, Ray Ray. Now, my family that I was raised with calls me Ray Ray. I didn't even know that they knew about me. But to know that they called me Ray Ray, like hit a different chord in my heart that I didn't know was there. So then I'm like, okay, well, what happened to my mom? I found out last year before they found me in November of last year, 2016, she passed away. Um, And before she passed, she gave my brother my birthday. Now, come to find out, um, they, I was born in the Bay Area, right? Born in the Bay Area. My mom and dad on crack and other drugs during the 80s couldn't keep me if they wanted to um they end up 
my father ends up going to jail. Mother ends up going to jail. They ended up having to give me away. My grandmother didn't know who adopted me, where I was, what my name was or changed to. They had no idea. My brother found me on a fluke, which I call destiny, but on on destiny, just through Facebook, like looking, 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 like for the whole year. And um, eventually found me. And he asked, he asked me to be his friend like three weeks prior to me even meeting them. And I didn't even see his friend request because I didn't look. But um, I'm looking at these people like face to face. And then they say, oh, do you want to talk to your dad? And I'm sitting there. I'm at my mom and dad's house all the way in, in Modesto, California.